You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. My boss said you're the man for the job. But unavailable. You have ten seconds to change your mind. I'll give you five seconds to remove your hand. I'm insisting using only the best man for this assignment. Don't think of this as just another job. Think of it as a mission. One condition. I drive my own car. We changed the oil, gave it a tune-up, took out all the non-essentials. I got you my light company. You want to tell me what this is all about? When you pass 75 feet from the car, complete the mission, save your life. You didn't mention you bring company. It's complicated. With you, it's always complicated. On November 26th, fasten your seatbelt. They're going to kill us! Not. You really should think more positive. Step away from the vehicle. You've disappointed me. I've been thinking any idiot with a driver's license will do. They're fired. Jason Statham. You think we're playing games, Frank? A little late for warnings, don't you think? Step, Frank. Come on, one. Transporter three. And now, hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat again. Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey, so I'm is Dennis Cage from my, and that's Stacy David. Just you know, just like like like. Sonic, Dennis, hurry! Would you Sonic, hurry, Dennis? Sonic bombing this 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 <laughs> this this. this I'm Dennis Cage from my classic car, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. No, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio that's and Cars. That's what I said. Yes, that's, I said Nostalgic. Nostalgic Radio. Ra- you know, Stacy. I, you know, I don't know what to do. You can dress him up, but you can't take him out. You know what I mean? Why not, man? You're paying this time.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you missed any of our past shows, you can Google Nostalgic Radio and Cars, our archive page, where you can listen to all our shows for the past 11, almost 12 years. Right, Bobby? We're waiting one more week till we can say 12 years. <laughs> well, now, let me ask you a question. Okay, so it's like we officially started May 13th, which was on a Thursday evening, 19... No, 2010, oh. right? <laughs> yeah. We only had three years that I was born to choose from then. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So at any rate, um, and I was originally supposed to do it on a Tuesday night. Then I chickened out. Then I was supposed to do it on a Wednesday. Then I chickened out. Then I was going to do it on a Thursday, and... if at like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, then I chickened out, and I chickened out, and I chickened out, and then I think finally Lee looked over and says, look, man, 7 o'clock, so I was like, you got to poo-poo or get off the potty. I think I've said this every year, but anyway, but that's the true story. So uh, here we are, uh, 12 years later, amazing. You know, we started out just doing music and then talking a little bit about cars and stuff, and then uh, somebody said, Lee in particular said, uh, why don't you uh, get guests on your show since you uh, anybody can play music? You know, it can be a disc jockey, right? You know, well, we what? play music here all night. <laughs> yeah, music of your life. But anyway, but you know, it takes a special person to be able to talk about cars and interview people and so on. So I took his advice, and here we are. And we have a very special guest for you again this evening. We're doing part three. Jack is back. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, the. Uh, we're not going to be talking about collector cars. We're going to talk about other stuff. We're going to be talking more about the industry a little bit again and where Jack thinks the industry is going, you know, from a designer's perspective. And uh, so that'll be interesting because, you know, the thing about when we have some of these guests on the show, again, it's legendary and fascinating people uh, in the world of motorsports and music. But what it is is, you know, you can read stories. I read a lot, okay, particularly when I interview people. You know, I read up on past interviews that they may have had. I listen to videos where they've been interviewed live. And quite frankly, reading is fine, but there's nothing like listening to somebody and hearing the actual dialogue, right? Wouldn't you say that makes a lot of sense, Bobby? I mean, I like listening. I mean, when you drive down the road, I mean, I listen to the radio. Well, especially for us people who uh, opt for audiobooks as opposed to uh, sitting down and reading. Yes. Uh Having a uh, having it spoken on a radio show is very uh, helpful to us. Well, yeah. Plus, I coming mean, straight from the ho- sources. I mean, the horse's mouth. You well, know, it's interactive. Sor- yes. You 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 read an you know it's an audio book and you got a question when well, <laughs> there's nobody there to ask you on a show. Yes. You, know, you, you you question pops in your mind and you ask them. And I make my little notes. Yes. Okay. So anyway, but as far as car shows, if you want to find out where all the car shows are, don't forget flacarshows.com. This past weekend they had uh, the MIDI, the Walter MIDI up in Atlanta, and I heard they had something like 300 cars. It was a spectacular event. Didn't work out for me time wise. Um, Swap me. You know, Webster was Sunday. Also, I didn't make it to that. I had stuff I was working on, and. Uh, Let's see. This weekend is the Miami Grand Prix. And it's a Formula One race. Formula One Crypto.com Grand Prix of Miami. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I got to tell you, I went to the uh, CODA, which is uh, Circuit of, Circuits of America, right? Um, in uh, in uh, Texas. Texas, Austin, Texas. And I went to an F1. Now, I've been to Indy and I've been to uh, Grand Prix or uh, GT races, Sebring, Daytona, obviously, vintage races. And local circle tracks and stuff. 
But I'll tell you what, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that compares to the professionalism that you see in F1. And I can only imagine. They built a special facility down there, didn't they, Bobby? The Miami International Autodrome. Right. So we reached out to them, but we weren't able to get anybody on the show tonight. But we may have somebody on within the next week or two to talk a little bit about it, which will be interesting because then we can get a kind of a, a post-valuation of uh, – of, of how the event took place and uh, if it's going to be an annual event, which I think it should be. In the old days, I think they actually did it in Long Beach one time. In the old days, they would move around in the United States. Um, I think they did uh, uh, Pittsburgh. I think Watkins Glen did it one year. Um, I know they do it in Canada at uh, – I um, can't think of the name of it right now, but uh, at a track up there, Montreblanc or something like that. And uh, so that'd be interesting. But Coda is the official F1 track for the United States. So that's, but I got to tell you, it is pretty cool. So now we'll see how this plays out. It should be quite interesting. And you were asking me what other races were going to be here since this is a semi temporary, semi permanent circuit. Yeah. And uh, so far, the Porsche Sprint Challenge in North America will be there later this year. Oh. Is what they have us. Well, we'll uh, have to go yeah. and attend that since we are kind of, you know, Porsche aficionados. We should obviously be there for that. Uh, Barber Motorsports the, in May is having, I think th- this past weekend, I think they also had the their indie races were at uh, Barber Motorsports. And I know they're going to have a vintage race sometime in May. And just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, big shout out to my good friends over there at Fastlane Travel. If you ever want to participate on any foreign European driving tours, I mean, we're talking five star, first class, all the way driving tours with Porsches, no less. Um, our friend Peter Sontag, the CEO and founder of Fastlane Travel, is currently in Germany, in Deutschland, as we speak at the Porsche. Fabrik, the Porsche Centrum, and the museum. I was just uh, texting Peter earlier, having a great time. He'll be bonsaiing down the Autobahn sometime tomorrow. So that should be fun. At any rate, um, and then a big shout-out to one of our future sponsors here. How about Seafoam? Bobby, why don't you tell about some of the Seafoam products we've been... Oh, uh, yes. Uh, that have, we have been... Our Seafoam arsenal that we have been <laughs> uh, blessed with. Yes. We're not going to say blessed, but you just well, kind of like... They we help. appreciate them we pre- yeah. the sending us the samples. Yes, we have a quite the product line uh, that we've received from them, so starting with the, uh, the famous... Good old-fashioned seafoam motor treatment. Which works actually, in gas and diesel. Which works real good on diesels, I it might add. made our excursion, and no longer does it sound like that, uh, that, John old, cl- that old clip I play all the time Oh, yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Or like it, a Cummins. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it'll work on a Cummins, too. We're on the radio. We can say that. <laughs> I guess we could, but anyway. But, so. uh, yes, that. Um, we have their uh, marine uh, fuel stabilizer. We have um, their in- interior and exterior detailing product which I tell you, they're quite amazing. Uh, the exterior one is a uh, kind of like a spray wax or um, carnauba type thing that you can uh, put on your car, do a fast detail. Mm-hmm. And we have their Bug Be Gone, which is uh, probably the best. Ever- everything from a boat to a camper to a car- to the front of your car. And you tried them all, and they work great. I did, yes. You, you, can, you can park a truck under a tree and get that green stuff off the side, or you can one day in the love bugs here in Florida and you can get them all off. Well, that sounds like uh, the 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 ticket, as I say. That's, that's the ticket. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and they got. I think they're probably still doing that uh, Bronco giveaway. So go to their uh, website and all that stuff and enter. Because yeah. you know we are. <laughs> right. 
Now, SEMA is, again, this fall. You always hear me talking about it. And uh, I cannot overemphasize, if you are a car guy, if you have any connections to anybody in the car industry and you want to go to the show of shows um, for car guys in terms of really cool state-of-the-art stuff, it's been, interestingly enough, I got um, Dave Kindig's on right now from uh, – um, God, I can't think of that. What's the name of a show, Bobby? I can't remember it. Um, but Whereas Dave, shops can dig at design. Can dig at design. Yeah, right. But uh, Dave can dig on. But anyway, he's been on a show before. He's a good guest and a friend of ours as well. And um, he comes up with some amazing cars. But SEMA, you know, as far as all the products, and I don't care if it's wraps, if it's paint, if it's bodywork, if it's tires, wheels, if it's performance, if it's interiors, if it's suspension, anything you can imagine. There's like 2,800 vendors there. Something like 300,000 people go deep button through there you've got north hall central hall which is the coolest one and you got south hall and then you have all the stuff going on and then you have the 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 track events that are taking place out front i mean sema is it's a it's a week-long event and it's an absolute must you know there's four events i talk about every year obviously it's scottsdale collector car week you know and by the way i just got an email today from my good friend uh Bob Golfin, who is uh, who has been on our show before and writes for um, uh, numerous magazine publication, Cars Online specifically, but they are bringing back the Arizona Concourse. Now, the thing, Arizona Concourse was really, really cool because it was at the Biltmore Hotel. It was limited to 3,000 people, 50, 60 cars, 70 cars, 80 cars, maybe something like that. But it was a very, like a boutique um, concourse. Very, very nicely done. Very, very, uh, just very welcoming, very warm, just nice, not overwhelming. You know, it didn't, uh, it was just really cool. It was very, very nicely done, I might add. And so that's going to be exciting. Um, the next show, obviously, is Amelia Island. You cannot miss Amelia Island. And then Monterey Collector Car Week and then SEMA. Those are the four biggies that you got to go to. And then anything else in between, you know, is is basically a bonus. So those are, those are the events that uh, are definitely on my calendar and I usually try to attend those, and we talk about those, and we have guests on from those shows. But anyway, on that note, I think Bobby's going to fire up the stereo, and we're going to go ahead, and we're going to get a guest on and show here in a few seconds. And uh, in the meantime, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. And uh, here's another big classic out of the uh, out of the '60s archive, right, Bobby? That once again, I have to uh, go introduce ahead. the music of your life on the Tan Talk Radio Network. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's, it's a compliment to them. It is, it is, it is. It's great, it's great. It's radio. Hey, we can do whatever we want here. It's spontaneous and it's fun, right. Peggy Lee was the answer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Peggy Lee was the answer. Okay, hey, don't touch it all. We'll be right back. Here's a little fever. Never know how much I love you. Never know how much I care. When you put your arms around me, I get a fever that's so hard to bear. You give me fever. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight Fever in the morning A fever all through the night Sun lights up the daytime Moon lights up the night I light up when you call my name And you know I'm gonna treat you right You give me fever when you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight Fever in the morning A fever all through the night Everybody's got the fever 
That is something you all know Fever isn't such a new thing Fever started long ago Romeo loved Juliet Juliet, she felt the same When he put his arms around her He said, Julie, baby, you're my flame Now give us fever When we kiss it, fever with thy flaming youth Fever, I'm a fire Fever, yea, I burn forsooth Hi, I'm Bob Lutz, former vice chairman of General Motors, and I like listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars and Semper Fi. Okay, we're back, and we're back with Jack. Jack is back, and I'm delighted to welcome back uh, the former head of Global Ford, Ford Global Global Ford Global Design for Ford Motor Company. I got to write that sign. Jack, how are you doing this evening? <laughs> great, great. Thanks, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. So let's uh, continue our design series, and um, one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk to is, or talk about a little bit, and I want to see where this is going. Your thoughts as a designer on where you think the future of car design is headed. Now, the cars today, you're kind of like responsible for. Let's just say, I think you coined the term "jelly bean look." So today, the cars are very chiseled looking. So give us like, your thoughts on that a little bit. Yeah, well, first off, rather than jelly bean look, I like to talk. I like to call it the arrow aerodynamic. Oh, our arrow arrow look. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and um, I I think that there is a a meeting in between someplace because I, I do like the, uh, the sharp edge. Also, I think that uh, combination of uh, soft uh, arrow shapes with the hard lines delineated hard lines delineating the shapes in the form of the car can work very well together and uh, but as far as where cars are going in the future I think that you're you will be seeing as a matter of fact I just met today I had lunch with uh, the new uh, EP of design for the Ford Motor Company and uh, 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 his name is uh, Anthony Lowe he's a European he, he's just coming to Ford from uh, Renault in France and uh, we were talking about uh, designing. He was talking about designing from the inside out. And now, especially since we're going into, you know, eventually getting into autonomous cars and this sort of thing, with a lot of uh, human interface in the car. And we've talked about this before about designing a car from inside out. But this is probably happening more so. Will be happening more so in the future than it ever has in the past. But it's. It, really getting back to the whole theory of form follows function and I think this is going to have a significant effect on the car and right away now depending on how uh, electric cars go uh, EVs you know with, with the engine with no engine and just a, a flat floor a flat uh, a platform uh, we're going to have a much more freedom of shape the car and I think we'll have even more of an aerodynamic shape to the, the uh, cars that they'll be developing in the future, which will help on on uh, energy. It used to be just a fuel economy, but now it's, you need, you, need, you need energy efficiency, no matter whether it's a, 
from a combustion engine or an electric vehicle. And uh, I think the electric vehicles will give us more freedom of design on the exterior of the car also. So I think it's going to play an important role. Let me make an observation. Um, it seems to me that when we have actual corporate car people on the show, they lean towards, let's just say, the electric car um, uh, uh, theme a little bit more. The Those of us outside of the corporate world that are more car guy, we're still ICE, internal combustion engine related, are, are oriented, and we're still hopeful with new types of alternate fuels, still using, you know, piston-oriented engines, combustion engines, possibly with hydrogen and things like that. As a designer, are you, do you get involved, in, I mean, outside of the fact that you've got, a, you know, engine location, rear end location, drivetrain, you know, things like that, do you ever have any, as a designer, would that be something that you would have any input in? Now, you know, years ago, we weren't really on the EV thing like we are today, but today, do they get designers a little bit more involved in powertrains design aspect of the car? Oh, well, absolutely. And, uh, but it, it, you know, it, the market is at this uh, tremendous shifting point right now. Okay. And everybody's to cover the bases if, if, if if the, the industry goes EV rather than ICE, uh, there's, a, there's an incredible amount of investment we're talking about there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so far, some of the EV, EV vehicles that have been brought out of Tesla's to now the new uh, Ford F-150 Lightning truck, which is a pure electric vehicle, uh, have been fairly successful. As a matter of fact, the, the F-150 Lightning truck uh, it's sold out. They're, they're, the production is sold out already, right through next year. Uh, so it, 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 everybody, th- these are tough decisions for everybody to make. And then, of course, they have to take into consideration the uh, difficulty getting all the materials that are necessary for electric vehicles, for batteries, uh, all the rare metals that are necessary that we apparently don't seem to have all of them in this country. We have to go around the world finding them. Well, we know where they are, I guess, but a lot of them are in countries that we're not willing to deal with. But that, uh, it's, it's, it's a, an incredible burden on top management now to make these decisions. And I think that, uh, we're, at least in the case of well, most of the companies here in Detroit are hedging their bets by holding on to internal combustion engines uh, and not, 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 not throwing them out. And by the way, there's still a lot of improvement a lot of fuel economy improvements that can be made with the internal combustion engine over EV. And a lot of other issues with EVs, such as mileage, much mileage you get on a charge, where, where are all the charging stations? Logistics, in other words. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough decision. And uh, the designer you know, would have to go along with Tom management management, it's up to top management to decide which way we're going with the, with our powertrains, whether it be pure electric, whether it be hybrid, so stick with uh, ICE engines. It, it, uh, but 
Again, a good designer can design around either one of these. Off the top of my head, a little more freedom uh, designing with uh, uh, with electric vehicles because you're dealing with a flat platform. Sure, it certainly gives you um, a better shot of having more interior space with a flat floor inside in, in the interior of the car. And... Uh, and more flexibility on the exterior in terms of aerodynamics by lowering the hood and so forth. But uh, it's it's this, the whole industry is going through a very critical point right now. From a designer's perspective, you know, like you look at a car, and I'll use a Tesla as an example because a few of my friends have went out and, and bought those. To me, they come across very sterile inside. They don't, you know, by comparison, you look at a Porsche Taycan, and it still looks like a car and a Porsche and relatively everything everything in the car is identifiable. So from a designer's standpoint, you guys obviously collect information, data, feedback, and I guess it's consumer-related, and you basically have to kind of determine at that point in time how we're going to design our cars because you're talking about designing the car from the inside out. you know. And then the autonomous thing, that, that's I, – I'm not – my, personally, I'm not comfortable with that, but I, I guess where you're going with this is that, you know, in the old days, you, you like when you when you first started in 1958, you're working on a 1960 car, so you're two years out. And then by the time you got into the late 70s, early 80s, you could bring cars from the drawing board to production much quicker. And today, with today's technology, obviously that again. And so where I'm going with this is that do you feel that you know, is 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 it is it the interiors, the design, all this is definitely without a doubt consumer oriented. And do you feel that we're getting a little too sophisticated and too, you know, if you if if the car becomes totally autonomous, and by design and by creature comforts inside the car, uh, what's going to happen? You know, the mindset of the driver changes too. It's like, is he really going to be driving the car? Or is the car driving him? That's a great point, and I think uh, <clears throat> uh, you know a lot of us still like the internal combustion engine, and we like we like we like driving. Right. We like going here as we, we like being in control rather than having our drive us forward. And uh, but I, I think what, what what will happen could happen. I think Bob Lutz had a good observation on this recently when I was talking with him. That uh, when we went from the from the uh, Horses, two cars in the beginning. We still, people still kept horses. They still liked horses on the side. They had them on ranches and do ranches and all this sort of thing to have their fun on horses. And possibly uh, this could happen with uh, internal combustion engines or people who really like to drive. We can still, I think you'll see uh, maybe a resurgence of more, uh, for the enthusiasts, more. Uh, racetracks where the enthusiast can get on and really drive, even if he has a completely autonomous vehicle, can still get on and get his kicks out of a, a internal combustion where he can go through the gears and have fun driving a car, too, rather than just have being driven by it. So maybe there'll be the, I'll call it a dude ranch now for internal combustion engines where people can go there and get their kicks on, on a test track. I don't, I don't, some of that, a little bit of that's happening right now because you can only drive your car so fast on a normal highway <clears throat> but uh, uh, we're, we're going through an incredible transition uh, the, the whole industry is and uh, a lot of people think it's a real crapshoot but uh, it, there, there are also some very serious 
business decisions that have to be made on this. And uh, and we will get, you know, we, we will get feedback in through market research, uh, especially on the interiors of the cars. And uh, I don't know, I don't know how much market research, uh, uh, really honest market research and usable market research we can get on whether or not people really want uh, autonomous vehicles or or driver driver oriented vehicles. But I'm sure I'm sure that everybody, everybody in the industry is asking that question right now. Which way, which way are we going in the future? It's, it's a tough one. Well, it's funny you mentioned Bob Lust because he was at a seminar. He's one of the guest speakers at a seminar at, in Scottsdale at uh, Scottsdale Collector Car Week at the Haggerty uh, um, uh, uh, seminar that they have at uh, the Penske store in Scottsdale. And he pretty much scared the, the pants off most of us, frightened us and worried us. and concern, I shouldn't say frightened us, but scared the crap out of us from, from the standpoint that says, well, you know, you guys uh, with your internal combustion engines, because, you know, he's the, you know, Mr. EV guy. And, and Bob's a great guy, don't get me wrong. But I don't agree 100% on the whole electric thing necessarily. But what he was saying is, is Robert, what's going to happen is in the big metropolitan areas, Eventually, and they're working on this now. There's going to be these grids where all these cars, you're going to park your car outside of town. You're going to get in this little, it's going to be kind of like the Jetsons type thing, where you're going to, or like Johnny Cab from uh, the movie Total Recall with uh, Schwarzenegger, where you get in this little cubicle, little autonomous, little goofy little car with some little robot in there, and it takes you from point A to point B, and that's what's going to be in town. And then you'll have your cars outside, and then as they eventually try to phase out the internal combustion engine, you're going to have these car clubs, kind of like the M1 concourse that you have up there in uh, Detroit, and uh, the one that they have down in South Florida, and they're building one here in Tampa, as a matter of fact. And uh, they got a couple out west. And he says that that's kind of where it's going to go. So chances are down the road, you know, he says that, you know, this— you know, just like you said about the horses and all stuff. I mean, you're going to have them, but you're not going to be able to drive them every day like you used to because, you know, it. it's a different world we live in now, Robert, as he put it. And I go, okay. So it's hard for us old schoolers to kind of grasp that a little bit. But, you know, for the time being, we're going to enjoy what we have and uh, whatever happens, happens. And we're just going to kind of keep tabs on it, I guess. Well, change is always difficult, but uh, and I think that they'll provide for the uh driver-oriented guy who really wants to get in there and experience the car as we knew it. All right, now here's a question that I've always had to ask. Okay, I was in the wrecking yard business for 35 years. Okay, so I can tell you that a 65 and a 66 Mustang, a lot of stuff interchanges. A 67 and a 68 interchange. A 69 and a 70 Galaxy, a lot of stuff interchanges. A 66 and a 67 Lincoln, a lot of stuff interchanges. A 62, 63 Lincoln, a lot of stuff interchanges. So what I liked, a lot of us did, what we liked about the 60s, there was these subtle changes but there was a definite change every almost like every year so you as a designer how were you basically instruct because i always wondered this why you know because in the old days it's like you know you look at a 61 cadillac you look at a 62 cadillac they're very similar but and some stuff interchanges but they change the fascia in the front the fascia in the back maybe a switch or two on the inside chrysler was notorious for that um and then yet then we get into the 70s and we have you know, a, 60, a 75 Lincoln looks pretty much like a 76, 77, 78. So then it starts that the cars don't change much for four years. And then pretty soon it's nine years. So take us back to the 60s 
and how you as designers were basically, I'm not sure if you were instructed or if that's what they wanted you to do or if that was just the way things were done back then, but how did that work? Back in the 60s, the late 50s, or even into the 60s, yeah, we were changing practically every year. But do bear in mind that we had far fewer models in those days. Than we That's had true. Today. You know, we had a, a large Ford Galaxy and then maybe drop down to a Fairlane and, and maybe a Falcon. But uh, today you look at all the different series of models that we have and how it, it, we just don't, they don't have the manpower and uh, the resources to come up with these changes every year like we did back then but I, I gotta tell you it was uh, it was much more fun back in the 60s when we were able to change every year and if it, uh, if, if you made any kind of a mistake if, if the vehicle wasn't selling if you had a, a 59 or 60 or 61 say full-size Ford that wasn't doing that well and our main competitor back in those days was Chevrolet uh-huh Chevrolet eating us one year and you could quickly turn around and change it and, and, and get back on track and go after your competition a lot faster because you didn't have to hold on to the design back then. Now, in all fairness, too, let's, let's face it, our quality wasn't as good back then as it is today. You know, our, our fit and finish and, and door margins, et cetera, are, are, are so much more exacting today than they were back then. But people weren't demanding that back then either. People really did want change. They used to get excited when they go to the dealer every fall and see all the new models that would be on display. I mean, it, it, there was just a little bit more excitement there. On the other hand, and I think that you'll have a, a, people who are more technically oriented are, are getting excited over electric vehicles, and uh, they, they want they want the technology. They want they want they, they want maybe. I'm, I'm not sure how many are really really excited about autonomous vehicles, but that, that remains to be seen. You know, it's a, it's a crap all right, so back in the day, all right, so in the 60s when you were changing these styles, um, how many different sets of concepts did you have to come up Let's say you went uh, uh, from the, the, the Ford Galaxy, okay? So you went from a 60 to uh, a 60 was by itself. 61, 62, kind of similar. 63 and 4, which I thought were gorgeous cars. I mean, but almost completely different. I think the doors might interchange, um, but the but like you said last week, you know, the central body was pretty much the same. So, how many sets of drawings, plans? How many people actually worked on? Draw, I mean, what did the team consist of? You know, people always want to know that. Well, it's like, you know, is it one guy to design the whole thing, or do you have twenty guys? One guy designed an emblem. One guy designed a, a headlight door. One guy designed an ashtray. One guy designed a radio knob. You know, I mean, how did that basically work? Well, there was there was always the uh, the studio chief or studio executive uh-huh. uh, who would make the final selection. But uh, yeah, we had in the normal studio, at least in the Ford Motor Company, probably had uh, anywhere from uh, ten to twelve designers. These are guys on the board. And this is this, by the way, babe, when you're talking about the '60s, this is before computers, right? And uh, so these guys were sketching by hand, and uh, and then going right into uh, clay models with this. And today, uh, matter of fact, when I was talking to our new uh, new VP of design at Ford Motor Company, I still had lunch with him today. Uh, he was he was saying that the young designers today uh, just aren't, aren't they can't they can't freehand sketch the way they used to. They're they're not trained to do that. They're, they're they want to do everything on a <coughs> excuse me on a computer. 
Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's just not as uh, as creative or uh, it's, 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 it doesn't have a flair and the excitement that it had back then when you're doing it. But, but and it, it's, a, it, it's a sign of the times and we have to roll with it. But back then, yes, you have maybe 10, uh, 10 or 12 designers in the studio and there were the detail guys, of course. Uh, and especially on interiors, you say who's doing a knob or a control knob or steering wheel or wheel cover or whatever. Somebody has to do all the details, but and, and it was usually usually the head and generally the depart the head of the department was the one that selected the overall theme of the car. Okay. And then and then it was up to the guys on the boards to work out the final details and and working and then the car the models had to go through feasibility with engineering and and you had to. Move a lot of uh, move a lot of clay around to meet the requirements of manufacturing and all, but uh, it's a uh, and I, and I think that a lot of that has changed now because of computers. I, mean, I know I know it even when I when I after I retired even before I retired we were into computers and things were changing then. When you in the '60s, what did you did you were you uh, fortunate enough to draw, draw you know work on uh, any of the Lincoln Mercury programs like the Cougar, the Lincoln, uh, any of that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your contribution to let's just say like and and the reason I'm saying this because my friend Chris Dunn from Lincoln Land's listening and he goes, "Wow, this is really cool," you know, because he, he actually met you a couple of years ago up in uh, Detroit. I guess you were a, a guest speaker at one of the events up there. And uh, so I told him that you'd be back on the show again. So he's 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 listening. And big Lincoln guy, and I'm a big Lincoln guy. I love those things, you know, especially the suicide car doors or suicide door cars. Those are just uh, to me that was just really that was probably the, one of the coolest cars out of the '60s. It was a suicide door Lincoln. The '60s. I think you're talking about the '61 Lincoln. If I'm not mistaken. Well, '61 to '68, '69 was a suicide door. They all had suicide doors, you know, where they opened in the center. And um, but the '61 is by far the best looking, in my opinion. I'm partial, but all the all the Lincolns out of the '60s, I thought were just uh, stunning cars. I mean, they're, they're, they were classy. They were very formal looking, you know. And uh, and and that's what I think a lot of these cars today lack. They're not a very formal, classy looking car. They're kind of trendy and state of the art looking. Does that does that make any sense? Yeah, they, there was a certain elegance to, to that, especially the. There's a company in, uh, and we had him on the show here a number of years ago, and it's called Mob Steel. I think that's, and they're out of Detroit, and that's what they do is they primarily specialize in uh, in the suicide door Lincolns from '61 to '69, and uh, they do some pretty trick stuff with them. And they're, you're right, that's uh, there's a whole, it's a whole culture now. Another question that I have, and I've got to ask you this, okay? And I can't remember the designer's name, but I remember when I was in Detroit a number of years ago, we went to this little restaurant someplace off of Woodward Avenue. And the, as the story went, he says, Robert, back in the 60s when we were here as designers and engineers and stuff like this was a restaurant, and there was four or five of them along the strip there, where the Ford guys, the Chevy guys, the Chrysler guys would all sit there and either have lunch or sometimes dinner and share and swap stories. That's why a lot of the cars were very similar during the 60s. Now, how much truth is there to that? Well, 
I don't think there's very much. I, I think we got together and talked. We had a lot of the direct designers knew each other. There was a lot of uh, intermixing of designers and mm-hmm. changed the move from Ford to GM and Chrysler. But uh, I don't think it was because we had lunch together or dinner together that, that caused the, the similarity in looks of the cars. But uh, no, no, I don't. I don't believe that at all. And, and people really kept what they were doing confidential. We had, uh, we were not sharing that information with uh, with our competitors. But uh, but there were trends that, that everybody knew about, and that you had to adhere to and, and, and roll with and move with, and, and you know stay on stay on the right trend curve. But uh, we no, I, I, I don't think it was, we didn't get together and exchange ideas. Is what I'm trying. To okay, no, no, I get that. I get. It. Um, let me ask you this. Okay, so. You, you touched on something earlier. Okay, so let's say back in 1965, we had a Mustang, we had a Fairlane, we had a Falcon, we had a Galaxy or a big Mercury, and we had a Lincoln. So you had five or six cars in the product line. Today, there's just like so many, like you said, and there's so much overlap. Do you think that that's a manufacturing flaw and that that, that impairs, value, uh, impairs the sales of, of – like, for example, um, you got a Ford Explorer. And then you've got uh, a Ford Escape, and then you got something a little smaller than that, and then you've got uh, the ex- Expedition, then you get the long wheelbase Expedition, and then you had the Excursion, which I actually own one of those, which I like, and uh, and then Chevrolet had their Suburban and their short wheelbase, long wheelbase, and then they had the small one, and so on, and then Lincoln had the Lincoln Navigator, then they had the Aviator, then they had something else and something else. Uh, or the Mountaineer or whatever it was. I mean, so do you do you really need? And, and, and of course, they eventually they did away with Mercury. Um, no different than Pon- or General Motors did away with Oldsmobile and and Pontiac. Um, do you feel that because there was so much overlap that they del- they eliminated the brands, and the, that that was not necessarily a good idea, and they should just kind of kept. I don't- yeah, I don't think they eliminated the brands, or they, but they certainly uh, uh, ran full tilt on, on a variety in, e, in each brand. Right. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm sure that the, I know the market demanded it. I mean, we really think because we had to fall into almost different price segments on the cars, too, at that time. But we still do. I mean, today we do. Mm-hmm. We're demanded. You know what your competition is doing. You know that if... Uh, GM comes out with a car that's, uh, or say, an, especially an SUV, because there's so many SUVs now. With my friend, plus, always seem to be doing their SUVs. <laughs> you, have to, you have to cover the base on that. If they come out with a larger one or a smaller one, you better be right there on top of it, doing the, doing something that's, that's fully competitive with whatever our competition is doing. Uh, another question. Okay, so like my son had a Ford Focus, has a Ford Focus. Okay, which is a great little car. So. Ford eliminates the focus. You know, it's like, uh, what we see is like the big three basically eliminating certain segments of their product line. And then thus what happens is, is it allows these foreign companies to come in here and basically capture that market. And, and then it's kind of like you go, well, wait a minute, what was Ford, GM, and Chrysler thinking when they eliminated that, and then their main focus is on trucks and SUVs, but not everybody wants a truck and SUV. Somebody wants an American-made, you know, economy car. How do you how do you just how do you how do you rationalize that as a designer? 
I mean, again, I know you're, you're, it comes from you know the top down, but I mean, as a, you being a, a guy from Detroit and a car guy and a Ford guy, you know, and then you see that how we're kind of getting overrun by the imports, so to speak. Does that kind of does that kind of resonate with you in a kind of a bad way? I'm extremely concerned about that. That's the thing I ask myself that question every day. Are we really, really going the right way by eliminating the four-door sedans in different segments, mainly going for SUVs and throughout the Lincoln line and throughout the Ford line? Um, I, uh, these are these are tough decisions, and uh, obviously, people obviously people have taken to the SUV concept. But uh, and, and it really, really concerns me when I see, so especially foreign competition coming in, continuing to do their four-door sedan. Uh, on the other hand, they maybe they're catching, getting the message also, and they're going with more SUVs. But still, they, they are, we are definitely walking away from the four-door sedan in this country. Everybody seems to be doing that. Uh, very concerning to me. But uh, obviously, the people on top of these corporations feel that's the way to go. We'll see. I think, I think the jury's still out on that one. Okay, well, I'm with you on that department. There's no question about that. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit about when you were at Ford Design, you know, throughout the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And remember how in the 50s they came up with these really cool concept cars, Futurama style kind of cars and stuff like that? Were you, did that continue kind of like, uh, let's just say, like on, in your spare time type deal, or was there was was concept cars and experimental cars? Was that did that kind of continue through the seventies and 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 late sixties, seventies, and eighties? Because if it did, you didn't really hear much about it. I mean, you know how they came up with really cool stuff out of the out of the out of the fifties. It was you know very futuristic some of that stuff. And, uh, and and as a kid and, and a kid that built models back in the day, we look forward to that. And then in the 70s and 80s and 90s, it's like it just disappeared. Did it act, Was it actually taking place, or was it something that was kind of phased out? Well, no, it took it took place, and I think the uh, the 60 Ford, which was a very clean-sided car, and the chrome strip, chrome moly running from front to rear on it, the mm-hmm. horizontal fin. By the way, it was probably the widest production car ever built in this country. And um, that was taken from a concept car that, uh, that we had in all the auto shows around the company, around the country, I should say. Uh, so that, that that still made a lot of sense to do the uh, do the concept cars then, and, and they're they're still doing some of that today. Obviously, just to test the, the public out there, and uh, I think you'll still see it uh, going on. But we did we definitely did more of it back then in the sixties and right into the seventies. When did you? When were you associated with Chris Craft Boats? Because uh, we'll jump into the, the, your. Because I know you're passionate about boats. And then, how, when did uh, you you, you kind of start designing boats a little bit or get involved with Chris Craft? Okay, uh, when I right after I retired, I moved to Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, it was invited to a uh, a seminar, boat seminar, a uh, fellow who set it up. And uh, I happened to meet the Chris Craft people there. They were at the seminar, and uh, the company at the time was owned by uh, Peter. Uh, I can't think of his last name right now. Uh, anyway, he, he was from London, London, England. 
I, when I got chatting with my sister, gee, I, I'm from Michigan. I know Chris Craft, and it, Chris Craft started right here in Algonac, Michigan. He just bought the company, just bought Chris Craft, and uh, you've got so many wonderful Chris Craft uh, details and, and uh, design concepts that you can work with on your new Chris Crafts, and uh, it'd be you know fun to take a crack at that. And he's, well, then he invited me to, well, you know, why don't you let's see what you can do? How can you? Uh, Focus on that, and that's when I got involved with Chris Craft, and uh, and I, I did a lot of uh, proposals for them for a number of their different types of boats, everything from uh, from their speed boats on two cruisers. And I I, I I try I try to use as many of the known Chris Craft design elements as I could on them, uh, and they they, they seem to accept them. But he again, being he wasn't from this country, he was from England. And he, uh, I think they, he, I think he didn't know the, the history that well of Chris Craft, but uh, but they they're, they seem to be doing it very well the way they are. They're just not they're not building the large Chris Crafts like they used to, but that that whole industry has changed so much. I mean, there's so many people in the boating industry now, from here and from abroad. But uh, still an exciting an exciting uh, exciting industry. If you had to reflect back. Um, what is one of your most uh, um, proudest achievements? What, I mean, of all the cars. Now we know about the uh, the Arrow um, Taurus, but aside from that car, what what do you feel is one of your you, when you look back and you reflect on, on on your career with Ford? What is let's just say something out of the '60s and '70s? What would be something that stands out for you? Well, I think I think that the Taurus was the was really the breakthrough car and it had a strong. Uh, Influence on our competitors also. Uh huh. But that so that that was probably the one that I I was most influential in, and I think took a, took a lot of risk on, on doing it, but got feeling that would make it. But uh, then I think some of the some of the Mustangs, the uh, Mustang, the Fox Mustang, the first Mustang. Uh huh. I, I just came back from Europe when we did that car, and it, it had a I think a very European feel to it, downsized that car, and it was done. I think I mentioned on one of your earlier shows. Mm-hmm. We were do that car. We did it on a fair lane platform. And, uh, you know, it's pretty tough to do a hot looking sporty car on a four door sedan platform. But I'm, I'm very proud of the way we were able to pull that off. It's still making an exciting, exciting car. So I think that 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 would be the '79 Mustang, the Fox Mustang, was the one of, I think one of our uh, pretty good contribution by our designers. Well, I can tell you this, just because I've got a lot of friends that own those cars, and I've had a number of them myself. I had a '79 Capri one time, gear. I think it was a gear body, gear design, and you know, trim, and uh, with a V8 in it and everything like that. It was a stunning car. And uh, so the the Fox body Mustang today for the new generation guys is probably the most popular Mustang out there. It really is. Outside of the 2015 to 2022 cars, but the Fox, but you know, the, the 65, 66, the 67, 68, the 69, 70s, and then 71, 72s, you know, they're 73 is okay. But then when he came out with the Fox body car after the, 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 the Mustang too, the, the Fox body is a sensational car and, and, you know, great job. Thank you very much. We appreciate that car. <laughs> Thank you. We enjoyed doing it, yeah. 
Well, Jack, we are up against the clock again. I want to thank you for hanging out with us for three series, for three shows. We truly enjoyed it. We got, I think, to cover a lot of stuff. You answered a lot of questions. My listeners were, were tickled. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Next time you're down in Florida, hopefully I'll bump into you at one of these events down here at Amelia or something like that, or maybe if I get to Detroit again. And uh, so, uh, you know, thank you for your contribution. Thank you for the cars. And, uh, you know, all the best to you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out there motorboating someday. It's my pleasure, Robert. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank my very special guest this evening, uh, Ford, head of Ford Global Design, Jack Talnack, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it was very educational, very informative. Um, it's great to have someone like him on the show, and uh, you know, I really, it's, I, you know, that's that's what we're here all about. Or you know, fascinating, legendary names in motorsports, music, you know, the car world. You know, we want you guys to kind of tune in every week here between seven and eight p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. You never know who we're going to get on. I've reached out to a number of people, and I'm, I'm always surprised myself when I get some of these legends on. And that's what we focus on mostly, is the legendary guys, the guys that were around, the guys that were responsible for the, for the hobbies, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the, the sport of it, um, music, instruments, the whole nine yards. So uh, hopefully we'll see you guys some of the car shows. Uh, check out FLA.com. Don't forget our website, too, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. we got some stuff posted on there. Follow us on our social media. Anything you want to add, Bobby? That sounds good to me. Uh, yeah, hey, and uh, next time you're at uh, the parts house, don't forget to pick up some seafoam, right? Seafoam, yep. Yep, yep. And uh, if you're up in the uh, Crystal River area or wherever it's Eminus, don't forget to uh, Bushnell Motorsports. Go go-karting. In the meantime, I want to see you guys with the car shows, but stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.